teacher quit talk. Cornova virus is here. Cornova virus has always been with us. I always say Cornova, and I think that maybe 10% of people know what I'm talking about when I say that. Would you like to explain it to the people again? Yes. In very, very, very early COVID days, I think like March 5th, that's how early I'm talking. Wendy Williams on her show said, are we afraid of Cornova? Raise your hand if you're afraid of Cornova. Because this was before everything got shut down. But when there was like a few confirmed cases in the country. And I just never moved on from that. It'll always be Cornova to me. That's your restaurant. You're still there. Everybody moved on. You're still there. (laughs) I'm still there. That's like coronavirus's drag name. When she performs at brunch. (laughs) We should have a coronavirus (laughs) themed drag brunch. Too soon, Redacted. I got an Instagram ad for a Shrek themed drag brunch. And I was like, whatever little goblin Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg put in charge of me is doing a great job. They need to be promoted. <laughs> oh my God. I love I love when the advertising just hits, you know? So well, the reason we opened with Cornova is because not to make light of a deadly pandemic, we would never do that. Rather, there's been a bit of a discussion on the Tickety Talk about what I know is the COVID slide, but you didn't know what that word meant. So when, when you texted me, I just like wasn't thinking about it in that context because you texted me this morning. Every time you text me in the morning, I like happily reply. And then 30 minutes later, I'm like, why the fuck is she awake? Because it'll be like 630 my time. So I'm like, yeah, I'm up. I'm ready to start my day. And then I think about it and I'm like, wait, why are you up? Why are you ready to start the day? (laughs) I'm not. So when you texted me, have you seen people talking about the COVID slide on TikTok? What my brain thought of was a slide that was like not being cleaned properly or something. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? But then as soon- Like the COVID crock pot. Yes. But then as soon as you said something, I was like, oh, right. The slide of learning backwards. Yes, I understand. I was thinking it was like, oh, you go on the slide and then you get your COVID test. Like I thought it was like some kind of terrible idea that someone had. I was like, I mean, I'm down, but a whole episode? (laughs) Did you see the slide in Boston with the police? What? There was a slide. I don't know anything. I don't have the full story on this, but there was a slide in Boston and there was like this viral video of this police officer going down the slide, but he was literally just like ricocheting and ping-ponging off the thing. And it was like a metal slide. And then In days following that, there was like a huge line of people wanting to go down the slide of adults because people were like, I have to, like, how did that happen? And then now there's like all these videos of other adults Because at first they tried to say like, oh, it's a slide for kids. That's why he had like too much weight and it created momentum. But then all these other people were like, well, I'm an adult and I went down at normal. So like, what were you doing that made that happen? Oh my God. Do you know if anybody could replicate it? I didn't see anyone getting like injured in the way that this man did. Like he was (laughs) genuinely injured. And I- This was a cop? Yeah. So it's, we can laugh at it. He was getting hazard pay when it happened. That's what hazard pay is for. I'm going to send it to you. Okay. Because you need to see it. Oh no. Watch I like send it to my boss. Like, how did that happen? Did he go down on his belly? I don't know. I have no idea. You're supposed to go down on your butt. I don't know how he went down, the but whole, that happened. Sound the whole way down. <laughs> He's just trying to be relatable and be with his constituents or whatever they're called. Constituents. 
<laughs> He's trying to connect with the youth of Boston. The universe says you can't. So can't even go down a fucking slide, right? So that's not the COVID slide. That was his personal COVID slide, but it did not affect the rest of the nation. Exactly. So I haven't seen any of the videos where people are like, it's the kid's fault. But I know that they're out there because I've seen plenty of people being like, don't blame the kids. You're all blaming the kids. I don't do a lot of scrolling though, so. I've seen a lot of people blaming parents. Yes, I have seen that as well. Maybe you and I have different definitions of blaming the kids, but to me, blaming the kids is like, these kids are making a choice to not know how to read. They are terrible and we hate them and they don't want to learn. To me, that's blaming the kids. I haven't seen that. What I have seen was lots of people saying, the kids only care about their phone. They're so addicted to their phone. They don't care about doing the work, which I think that's an observation and I agree with it, but it's not necessarily the kid's fault because I think it's like developmentally appropriate behavior for the circumstances they've been in, but their actions are still affecting them, if that makes sense. Do you think the phones are worse post-COVID than they were pre-COVID? It's hard for, I am going to say yes. And from what I've heard, I've been talking to other teachers about this because At my last school, phones were not nearly as big of an issue as they are at my new school. So I was like, oh, is it because of COVID? I've been out of the classroom for like over a year, maybe like that was the thing. And from what I heard from other teachers is they said the phone addiction has gradually been getting worse for 10 years and they felt like COVID just sped it up some. And that's what I kind of think about a lot of the COVID related issues. I think pretty much all of them were issues before COVID. And I don't think it's right that we're using COVID as like a scapegoat for the cause because I don't think it was the cause. I think it just exacerbated them. I 100% agree with that. I remember when I was in school, I would wear my headphones upside down like this on the wrong ear so I could put my hair in front of it and you can't see it. So I would wear the string down my shirt so that I could listen to music all day and I would just read my book in my lap. I didn't need a phone. I was good to just ignore my teacher in any way that I could. All that to say, I get it. (laughs) I hate when my students do stuff that I used to do because I'm like... It feels so karmic. I know. know. It's like when people are like, I hope that you have a daughter just like you when when you grow up. I ended up just having students. Well, I have 33 of me in second period and I'm going insane. I remember when I was in 10th grade and my teacher cried because she found out we all cheated on our test. But in our fucking defense, you had no business giving us a college level test in 10th grade because I remember I Googled the answers because a kid took pictures of it and then we made a group chat. We learned it. We just had a picture of the test before, you know, because it was a two day test. So on day one, someone snapped some pics and then we all looked up the answers that night and memorized them. And I remember because when I looked up the answers, I found the key and it was from a university. So you didn't need to give us that test. But I remember her crying and being like, girl, relax. Like, who cares? And then now... I found out a bunch of them have like a Google Drive folder that they were like, if a kid finished their work, they would like put it in there and then all the other kids would copy off of them. And I was so upset. And I was like, why would you do that to me? I would do that. But why would you do that to me? I was like, when I did it, I was being efficient and creative. When you're doing it, you're hurting my feelings. So yeah, I don't... It's like I understand the cause behind a lot of stuff. And for that reason, I just don't think it would ever come out of my mouth that like, oh, the kids just don't want to learn. Even when I was a teenager, to be fair, there were times that no, I did not want to learn. I was learning geometry against my will. But... Much like a hostage. Right. But like, 
why? So when we say like kids are being taught math against their will, what's the issue? Well, for me, I had it undiagnosed ADHD and I was climbing up the walls all day. And I still to this day will refer to my ADHD as I am allergic to things that I don't want to do because I physically have like a body response when I have to do something I don't want to do. It got to the point in high school where I was like having panic attacks in the shower every morning and I'd be like, oh, weird. I'm like nauseous and dizzy every single day. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, that's why I hate it when people say, oh, kids fake a stomach ache to get out of school because 90% of the time, it they just don't know how to name it anxiety. So they don't have any symptoms of a stomach ache. They're just telling you they feel it, but you're like, you're literally fine. They're just anxious about where they're going or they don't want to go and they just don't know how to describe that. Yes, and who among us doesn't have tummy troubles, okay? Don't get me started on the way we process corn in this godforsaken nation. Italian kids <laughs> in Italy are fine. No, you're so right. I'm going to call them up. The whole country's going to be like, never had a tummy ache before school. <laughs> no, but like, I just feel like People get really in the weeds about this shit. Like, who are we? What are we really saying? Like, on the surface, might it look like that to you? Sure, but like, we need to like peel back the layers of what's actually fucking going on and then couple that with like, what are parents going through and what are teachers going through? Because like, why is your fuse so fucking short that like, we had a trend in 2021 where people were like, when your students are really pissing you off, just look at their tiny little hands and remember they're just children. Like we, that literally was like a thing that people were saying to each other and somebody said that to me and I was like, I think you all need to quit. I, most of my students are a foot taller than me, so I just want to put an asterisk that that hack does not work <laughs> for all grade levels. But like if somebody needs to look at my daughter's hands to remind themselves that she's a baby, I need you to like <laughs> remove yourself from her life, please. What always gets me also is like when, and I've heard other educators say the same thing, the kids are lazy, they don't want to learn, they they don't want to learn any of this stuff, they don't care. And I'm like, all right, let me put you in front of a computer with like college physics, like some shit you definitely don't understand. Let's stick you in front of a computer that just asks you repetitive multiple choice questions about that for 40 minutes. And let's see how many minutes it takes till you get annoyed. Seriously, I'm kind of skipping ahead. But like, it was also bad during COVID because like technology was not reliable, nor was our day to day schedule. So it's like, I, I just got pissed because my Wi Fi was spotty. Imagine that without a frontal lobe. I have a computer from my district that they gave me and it is not the fastest gal in the world she tries her best but she's just not doing what I would like her to do so kids are dealing with a lot maybe they do want to learn but a lot of things feel like they're stopping them it's bad out here and like one of the things that you talked about recently is like a lot of this shit was already present oh absolutely like these patterns are not new and I feel like COVID certainly wasn't like a straw that broke the camel's back because it was much bigger than a straw but these things were just exacerbated by COVID like if these problems were a car that car was already driving forward COVID just put a brick on the gas pedal. When COVID started happening, we, we were not sure of when the end date would be for this. Remember when we thought it was two weeks? Remember when we were like, oh, by, by the end of the summer, it'll definitely be back. Oh, 100%. I was, so, I was like, there's no way that we're still going to be here. There's a, a Facebook post, I think, of this lady I'm obsessed with. Her. I've known her since I was a kid. It's my mom's friend, where literally it's from like March 17th when everyone was like, two weeks to stop the spread. She posted on Facebook and said, y'all are crazy if you think this is going to last 
two weeks, look at history, pandemics last three years, see you in 2023. How did she know? Because she's a literal genius who knows things. She was like, pandemics are three years, always three years. And if you look, that's true. Smart cookies. I mean, like, so a lot of what was going on in the public education system was the opportunity gap. We have social systems and structural inequity, all kinds of shit that makes it really hard for a lot of kids to learn. Pre-COVID, those things that were already happening, like... People viewed it as, like, business as usual. Right. Like, it was viewed as, like, well, that's just the world we live in. That's the education system. Right. A lot of people outside of the education system had no idea. I think a big reason why like a lot of our society says that COVID caused this is because in a lot of homes, and I mean this with all the peace and love and no judgment in the world, in a lot of homes, that was the first time parents were heavily engaged with their child's education and looking at their work and realizing how behind their child was. So it's easy to think, oh, this is when it started in my experience, that must be the cause. When in reality, if you talk to any educator, pretty much everyone will agree most of these issues already existed before. And like I thought when I was home, because I was teaching kindergarten, I was like, okay, well, these kids have never had school before. Eventually, they're just going to go to school for the very first time, and they're going to have kind of like a clean slate, quote unquote. Like, I wish I was the dictator of the U.S. because I would have been like, no one's going to school for a year. Learn from your parents, and then we'll all just be a year behind. (laughs) Learn in your communities. Learn from YouTube. See you in fourth grade a year late, and you'll graduate high school at 19. Sorry. Even though that's like dramatic, I feel like it would have been less disruptive, honestly. In a weird way, it would have been. Like every single solution and every single way that we combat this has an issue. Like for example, one of the things that I was told a lot by my school during the peak of lockdown was don't talk about learning loss. Don't highlight learning loss. Students and their families are going to become disengaged with school. They're going to feel like it's hopeless. There's nothing we can do. So you have to be really mindful of how you address it. But what ended up happening was that coupled with giving passing grades kind of gave parents this false sense of security. That would have been great if we were headed back to school, but that's not what happened. So like the alarm bells weren't going off. Yeah, we just like started with that new curriculum in August. Like the last year was totally fine and like everything was totally normal when in fact nothing is normal and nothing is fine. And everyone's confused. Right. I mean, I guess we knew that there was going to be learning loss, but like coupled with the trauma and the massive issues that we were facing with like technology and access and stuff, it just really took it to another level. I was thinking it's also very like gaslighting. Oh, yeah. Like anyone with two brain cells to rub together can recognize that that's going to impact a student's learning. So the fact that we just like looked at all the parents and the kids and we were like, you're good. Don't even worry. You learned everything from that one kahoot that we did on Zoom. So literally you're 100% ready for first grade. Don't even worry about it. Like there's so many things that we could talk about. I don't even know where to start because now we also are losing really good teachers because there's a teacher exodus. Like we're not keeping great teachers and we're not training great teachers. We're really not, especially with the training piece. I don't mean this as an insult to my school or anybody, because I don't know, maybe they're doing this with other people, but like at both the schools I've worked at, really no one checks on you. Like they'll observe you every once in a blue moon. And it's less shocking to me now because they knew I had taught for a couple of years prior at a school that had like some greater issues than we do. So like, I think I think they felt a little more ability to be hands off and they focused more on people who was their first year teaching. But the fact that like, I could be doing anything with these kids, I could have no idea what's going 
going on and me doing a terrible job and we all have only come in here like twice. Not that I like getting observed, but for like a new teacher, if it's your first year, I think it's like good to have admin or other teachers in the room supporting you and observing you and helping you. Oh yeah, I mean, you learn so much from others and you learn so much when other people watch you. I mean, like I remember when I was a baby teacher, people would be like, record yourself teaching and just like see what you're doing because you just can't really get a full grasp when you're doing it. Because there's just so much happening. So to get that like outside perspective is helpful. Yeah, I've gotten better at it. Like as the years go on, I can kind of see myself and be thinking about my thinking, but not when I was a baby teacher and I was like, you're drinking out of a fucking fire hose. Like, how are you supposed to think? I also think it's way easier to do that as a secondary teacher, especially if you're only teaching one class, because like sometimes I'll teach a lesson to first period and I'm like, wow, that was very garbage. And then I get a do over, not a do over, but I get a second try to try something different with the exact same lesson. So it's a lot easier to see, to like try things out and see what works and see what doesn't work. And like, I remember my like first or second year, I gave a class an activity and they did a terrible job and everything was awful the whole time. And then in the next class period, I made a slide with better directions on it and just like made it a little clearer and they did an amazing job. So being able to see like the same material with two different groups of kids where you try a different strategy, I think is really effective. And I feel like that's the way that we should handle student teaching. Like they should get to try the same lesson multiple times with different groups of kids. So where can we start? I kind of want to start with reading because I feel like reading is something that we've talked about some and I think that is, I don't want to say like important in all of education, but it kind of is. It's like a very cross. And I guess it's like where this conversation started on TikTok. Yeah. Was people talking about reading. Like these kids can't read. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. These kids cannot read. Let me tell you, I was with them today. My kids didn't even have books in 2020. We were sending home stapled easy readers, which I know like science of reading friends, that is not like the best option. Those are not great for like instruction, but we were sending them home and being like, read to your kid or like, here's Epic, here's God, what were the, there were so many online reading programs that we were sending home. Like we were doing anything we could to get books into these kids' hands. And then of course, do they have somebody at home who has the bandwidth to read to them? Because I can't imagine having three kids at home a full-time job and then you have to read to them and then you have to do distance learning you have to get a five-year-old on a chromebook we didn't even have mouses it had a trackpad i would be losing my mind all we were assessing with distance learning in my belief all we were doing with like k through five was assessing how much free time one of their parents had and how good at school their parents or grandparent or whoever was watching them was like that's literally all we figured out who has people at home who has a parental figure or somebody that is comfortable with education and able to facilitate this my family's like don't even speak English most of the time. Yeah. So we're both on Google Translate, but it doesn't work that great. So we're like meeting in the middle somehow. So then a lot of my kids are English learners. A lot of them didn't have like reliable Wi-Fi at home, especially if they had siblings because the Chromebooks need to be on hefty Wi-Fi to be 
that, that that Ethernet. They need that Ethernet cable. It's got to be jumping. Yeah, we need whatever fucking Wi-Fi router Jeff Bezos has at his house. That's what we need. And they're sending the kids home with iPods and be or iPhones, and they're like, "This is your hotspot." When you said iPod, I would have believed you. If the government sent them all home with a the little clip-on iPod shuffle, it was like, "Learn how to read." When we were giving out hotspots, I was like, "That's a great idea," and I think everybody thought that. But then what was happening was it couldn't. They were so bad. What we were doing. It could load approximately a one-page Google Doc an hour. If it worked at all. Send those kids a YouTube video, they're toast. No, let alone my Bitmoji classroom. Oh. Th- my Bitmoji <laughs> classroom wouldn't load. And I, I don't think a singular thing. person other than me and my mother looked at my Bitmoji classroom. But it felt so good to make it, just to seize control of something. It really did. Oh, my mental health <laughs> really needed that. But yeah, so like it was just thing after thing after thing. So what pisses me off I'm going to land the plane. But what pisses me off is when people blame parents without understanding the gaslighting and the systematic exclusion of parents that's happening. This is literally what I'm doing my research on for grad school right now. It's the system is designed to exclude marginalized parents and the community at large. Like the system is not designed and has never been designed to be inclusive or like accessible to a lot of people. So when the question is, well, how don't you know that your kid is failing? Because we were, as teachers, forced to pass them. So there was something called grade inflation where kids were getting A's and B's because admin was saying you can't fail a kid because it's inequitable. You can't whatever. So you would provide to parents like resources and be like, hey, tutoring's available if you need it. But they're looking at their kids' grades on Google Classroom and they're going, oh, well, they have A's and B's. So. And the thing that, this is moderately unrelated, but I think kind of related. The thing that I have noticed a lot as a high school teacher that early really grinds my gears is when you're in an environment where a lot of kids are not doing the work, frequently absent, plagiarized, like for whatever reason, a big percentage of the kids are just not turning in work that you start to see this grade inflation where as long as you turned it in, you get an A. And that's what I saw with COVID a lot. So I feel like that really decreases the quality of work. And I think that one of the biggest ways students learn, at least at the high school level, is by getting explicit feedback on their work and then having to improve the work that they already turned in, being able to revise things and revisit them. So I think like in my experience, so I teach 11th and 12th grade, tons of my kids, they've been like going to middle and high school during COVID times. They've kind of come up with this belief. As long as I turned it in, I get a hundred on it. So they've been having like really a hard time with some of my assignments because I'm giving them, my belief is if you turned it in and it's done and it's in your own words, I'm going to at least give you a 70 on it because you you should pass because you did your stuff. But a lot of kids that are used to getting hundreds on everything are upset with me because they're like, why'd you give me a 75? And I'm like, well, your sentence didn't have any detail in it. You didn't elaborate. You didn't really answer the full question. And I think that a lot of kids are missing out on that because teachers are just having to give hundreds as long as they're doing it because they're so overwhelmed. And I think that COVID did a lot for that too, where kids kind of got in this mindset of instead of doing an assignment to learn something, they're doing it to check a box and move on. No, I think that's very related. At that level, it's not not only the parents who are being, in my opinion, gaslit, Mm -hmm. it's also the students. Because you're being taught that that's how the system works and that's not actually how the system works. So it's exacerbating what's already in place, which is already the fact that this shit's been going on. And what it just, it makes me sad that there's 11th and 12th graders that are gonna go to college soon that think it's okay 
to answer stuff in incomplete sentences because they're going to learn very quickly in their next academic environment that that's not acceptable. And it's like, I don't want to put the blame on teachers, but it's like the fault of the education system that they believe that. So like, it's really not kids' fault, even though it's easy to think it's their fault because they're the one turning in the work. If every time you've turned that in, you've gotten a hundred and moved on with life, why would you think any different? So then we go back to school, right? And we're like looking at all this data. I was in full panic mode when I got back. I was still teaching kindergarten, but where I thought naively like, oh, well, my kids are kind of going to be a blank slate. Psych. It was really difficult. I mean, I know high school was a shit show when they came back. Yeah. It's also, it's hard for me to say because a lot of them didn't come back. Like a lot of them just dropped out. No way. Yeah. Like a, a lot. I didn't know that. A lot of them just dropped out when that happened. Because once you're 16, wow. they don't do those truancy things because legally you don't have to be in school. So like you miss a ton of school once you're 17, 18, probably no one from the government's going to show up to your house. So at my old school, when the kids came back in full numbers, that was actually my favorite year of kids I've ever had. I think they were like just excited to be back together. A lot of them had what I would call pretty minor behavior issues where you could tell they just weren't used to being in a class classroom like they would just like randomly get up and leave and I was like hey where are you going like maybe sign out and take the pass with you and ask permission but I get it so like things like that and then phone addiction just like the being used to sitting on your phone in class like in class was hard but I think like the socialization wasn't that bad also because I taught in Florida so all the kids were still partying all the kids were still going out on the weekends everything was open like sometimes in COVID times a kid would log in and then be like oh my friend is here with me her computer's not working we're just both on my computer so like they would still be together so it wasn't that bad so my kids that came into 11th grade post COVID I wasn't really having issues with them but that year our ninth grade class had a ton of fighting issues like really really bad and the school I was at previously the whole time I was there we never had a fight like fighting issues apparently in like the early 2000s they had a lot of gang violence there but a lot of the administrators were saying like I have not seen fighting this bad since like our gang era like this is in and it's crazy just because they were not used to all being around each other and I think they missed out on that middle school socialization which was tough I'm so glad you brought that up because I was just going to talk about like the violence piece because mental health professionals over and over and over again and organizations and all these people that like know what they're talking about are saying these children have experienced trauma and that word's weird for people because a lot of people are like trauma when you say trauma people think that there needs to be like a villain and that's not the case right the villain was cornova when she wasn't at drag brunch like she was supposed to be (laughs) she was absent from drag brunch wreaking havoc on this nation so a lot of people like don't really get that this has actually been studied all over the world so it's not just in the united states that this is happening it's actually everywhere. And I found a really great editorial from the International Journal of Educational Development. And they've been talking about this, that schools have had kind of a non-response to COVID. They just said, I pretend I do not see. Right. And I've mentioned in the past that when I worked at they were like, you are not to go back and reteach. And that was a huge issue because then these state tests were like very, 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 very inaccessible for my students. Like if I were to do small groups that year, it would have been small group for grade level and above grade level. I had to do a data talk the other day and they <laughs> I had to put my groupings and I was like, alrighty, so group red, which is the students scoring the lowest, has 27 of them. Group yellow, has six. 
group green has zero. And like so many things that people have said, like, oh, this could be a solution. That could be a solution. But what's ultimately happened is nothing. It's like right back to business as usual. And that's what's so confusing for me. Like, it's like so sad to know and see what your students need and not be able to do it for them. And I can't imagine that like pain because even though I have experienced kids that are like behind in reading and it makes the the material hard for them and they don't have a ton of background knowledge and whatever history curriculum is it's not building blocks in the way that reading and math curriculum are so like in Florida kids don't even take a history in 10th grade so like they didn't miss something that they were supposed to have done so even though they had these issues I was teaching them fresh information it wasn't like oh you can't learn this because you didn't do this the way reading like if you don't know phonics it's really hard for you to decode a new word so I think like I just I can't imagine that pain because like I know how important it is to me so like tomorrow I'm teaching about what the hell am I teaching about tomorrow I'm teaching about urbanization tomorrow so like everyone like the time period in the U.S. where people were like leaving farms and going to work in factories So our word of the day is urban because they probably don't know what that means. So like I see how they need to know something to learn something else. And I can't imagine being told you're not allowed to teach them the word urban. Go straight to urbanization. It's all just so maddening. How did we like get here? Like who decides these things? The whole mental health piece is being very, very ignored. And that is exacerbated if you look at places like Florida where social emotional learning is under attack while it has never been more important to have that element in schools. If you don't feel safe emotionally and physically, you cannot learn. And if you're experiencing trauma or unresolved trauma, it's going to get in your way. And these kids aren't going to know how to express that. They're going to say things like, my tummy hurts. And everybody's going to be like, no, it doesn't. You didn't have any gluten today. I gave (laughs) you your bag of talkies before school. So I don't know what you're talking about. They love those talkies and they would give them to me and I'd be like I they're good but like I like a talkie as a garnish like I can't eat a whole bag of talkies but I'll do like one or two. Oh my god and my kids had those tahine packets and they would eat the whole tahine packet like a fun dip I'm scared. <laughs> and they're like five the other day I had a kid at maybe 8 45 a.m eating sour patch kids and hot cheeto puffs and I was like, I I don't even want to think about how my body would react to that at my old age of 25. <laughs> I was like, what's the first thing you've eaten today? I was like, have you even had any water today? He was like, no. <laughs> I was like, so your stomach, the first thing your stomach's going to intake is... <laughs> And you just are going to be all right. Oh, God. (laughs) So, yeah. So, like, the whole, like, return to business as usual shit is just so horrid. And it's, like I said, it's happening all over the world. Like, a lot of things have been proposed. And then it's, like, nothing's being done. And then, like, at the national level, the conversation that's happening right now around, like, drag queens in schools and all the, like, stuff that the bigots are really mad about. If you actually give a fuck about kids, you would be talking about the dire need for policy change at the national level in direct response to the fact that there is an emergency education crisis post-COVID era in our country. Like, it's actually such a bad crisis. Like, I really don't think people understand how not okay our nation is and how bad things are going to be throughout the next 10 years. I think we've already started to see it, but I think it's going to get a lot worse. 
your reality where you always talk about like we won't see impactful change until this shit hits capitalism. Yeah. This is going to happen really soon. Until Jeff Bezos is like Mr. President. I cannot run my company because I cannot find employees that are able to read and reply to emails. It will not get fixed until that happens. And they're pushing AI so they don't need it. Like, that yeah. sounds so conspiracy theory No, but me, like, they really but are. But it's already happening with big corporations are doing artificial intelligence when, wherever and whenever they can. For customer service response, for tons of stuff. My old job, literally did a huge company-wide AI training thing for a couple weeks and then laid off a ton of people. And they're like, well, you can use AI to write the email, so it doesn't matter that your customer roster doubled. We have so many wonderful, capable organizations handing this information to the government on a silver platter, and yet they're still sitting in Congress bitching about TikTok. I feel like what our government is doing is like, you know when you have to make a dinner and you're like, I could make tacos or I could make spaghetti and you just like can't decide so then you just eat a whole bag of Chex Mix and go to sleep? That's what they're doing with the education crisis. So many solutions are coming to them and they're like, ah, those all sound really hard though so we're just gonna fight about drag queens and then get inches from a government shutdown and call it a day. Yes, like you're getting ready for a party and you need to clean the house and then your husband goes out out and like replaces the mailbox. Don't even fucking get me started. Don't even fucking get me started. Because why are you in the attic right now? No one's gonna go up there. I know. I'm very micromanagey though. I have I give lists. I really can't talk shit. He does everything. He works from home. I always say, listen, some of us have to work outside the home. Like he doesn't yeah. make like 30 grand more than I do. He's a good man, Savannah. <laughs> he is though. We love. So all that to say, nobody's listening. We're screaming into a void. And then what happens? Well, now teachers don't want to stay. One thing I also think is contributing to the kids being quote unquote behind I this is hard to explain because are the kids genuinely behind yes but also I think sometimes their behindness is very exaggerated because we've made their work way too fucking hard like when I compare what I was doing in fifth grade to what fifth graders now are doing fifth graders now are doing stuff that in my opinion is like high school level work so you also have to look at how are we measuring that they're behind? And a lot of these testing companies make money because when kids are far behind, usually schools and districts invest into programs to try and bring them up. So people are buying more and more of these things like iReady and iExcel and these various little websites to help kids improve their learning. But what my logic is, and I might be stupid, I don't have a degree in education. If you have continuously failed online standardized tests that we give them on computers, how is me sitting you in front of a computer and giving you more questions about what you've already shown me you do not know going to improve anything? So I think it's also the fact that we're giving kids work, just what you were saying about your third graders having to write an essay and all of that. It's like, of course we're they're behind. Who would expect an eight-year-old to do that? And I think most parents don't realize how quote-unquote behind their kids are because they're observing the skills their child has and it seems fine to them and they're not seeing the skill compared to the work that's being given to them. And like, I'm the biggest proponent of set high expectations for children. High expectations are a gift. I will always preach that and I will always believe that. But at a certain point, when you have an expectation that is so ridiculously high and you don't have the support for them 
them to get to that expectation, you're just going to make them hate school and they're just going to get further and further behind. Oh, absolutely. I think most second and third grade classrooms around the nation, we just need to like shake our leaders awake and be like, get the fuck over yourselves. These third graders cannot write an essay. Let's focus on reading storybooks independently in third grade. Should they be further ahead of that? Yes. Are they? No. So let's teach them how to do it. Some kind of policy change needs to happen because unless it happens at a widespread policy level, like school districts just aren't going to do anything. Because they're not even equipped to do anything. I think even if you have a superintendent that is a fabulous girl boss genius who cares so deeply, it's still not going to fix it. Like we, if we look at the school district level, one of the things that jumps out to me first is how horribly the majority of districts handled IEPs and 504s during lockdown. Like you can't handle legal documents that are literally in a binder at your school site. You can't handle like organizing when parents write you a letter requesting assessment. Like it's quite literally the bare minimum. Right. We're spinning our wheels here. So like if you guys can't even handle that, oh, you want to know something else they can't handle? One of my research articles is about uh, how funding is allocated in big districts. In Philadelphia, they found $8 million because they just don't keep track of the money. Big districts are not trained. Principals you were talking about, I think, principals aren't trained in how to manage these million dollar budgets. It's a lot of money. They weren't in a Bama sorority as a treasurer. Like, I guess they didn't have that. The good ones were. The golden goose principals (laughs) know how. So, but like... The spending doesn't get tracked correctly. So this researcher was trying really hard. It took her five years to go through all of these districts' budgets. And she wanted actual numbers. But it was really hard to get actual numbers because nobody writes shit down. So she said, okay, well, I'll go interview these administrators. Administrators would literally look at her in the eye and be like, I actually don't know how much we pay so-and-so. I don't know how much we allocated for that. And it's also like, I, y'all know me, I'll blame an administrator any chance I get, but I'm going to not blame them here because it's impossible to expect a group of three people, two, three people in some schools to keep track of millions of dollars, oversee curriculum, oversee the staff, deal with behavior, contact parents, plan events. Like it's unrealistic to expect a group of people that small to deal with all that. But the district administrators are the ones who are supposed to have a desk devoted to that. Oh yeah, if you work in the office of finance, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to the people that are actually in the building with the Sorry, children. Sorry, I shall clarify. <laughs> That's who I meant. Oh, they don't even know? <gasps> I thought you meant principals didn't know how much they were spending their allocated stuff on resources, which to me is not good. But I understand how that can happen. Right. If you work at the Department of Finance, what the hell have you been doing all day? So there's there's that element where like the principals aren't good at managing their money, but then it goes all the way up because then it's not reported to the district. And then the district is like, we don't know how much principals spent on that because we just let them do it. We didn't write it down. We gave them a blank check like a rich kid at the Scholastic Book Fair, and then we just moved on. But the blank check had an asterisk that said not for teacher pay. No one loses money on my paycheck somehow. We're all losing millions of dollars, yet I've never seen it. So do you want to know something really fun that's coming down the pipe with budgets? I'm scared. So (laughs) we should all be scared. Because I think, I actually think that this, this has the potential to like 
blow some shit out of the water. So schools were getting funding for like COVID recovery and whatever. Ideally, the funding would go to like mental health supports and learning recovery and to combat chronic absenteeism and maybe even some teacher training if we're feeling ambitious. Uh, so the suspicion is that that's not happened, uh, but we can't prove it because each federal funding package, of which there are five, they all have different deadlines for spending. The last one is January 31st, 2025. So by January 31st, 2025, they have to spend the last COVID relief package, and then we will get some annual reports in 2026 that will probably let us know kind of what's been what's been going on because right now there's no state or federal database to show how school districts spent the money nay the the office of education we don't know we don't know yet is this what it feels like when you're a parent and you give your kid cash and they lose it because that's our tax dollars it's schrodinger's tax dollars right now because who knows where it went like what do you mean you lost it one thing they do know is that they haven't been spending it on learning recovery i swear to god in 2026 when we get these reports we need to film an episode and if i see a single line item of new furniture for a district office, I swear to God, I will find that furniture and I will deface it. That's my furniture. I paid for that with my tax dollars. How does your new fancy chair help student learning? So strangely, they bought all new Lakeshore furniture and manipulatives and toys for every kindergarten classroom in school district. So they didn't ask if we wanted it. They didn't ask if it was a developmentally appropriate choice. They just said it was probably like the least developmentally appropriate toy too. It was like feathers and like enough Lincoln logs for like one kid. I'm just envisioning all the little superintendents or whoever the hell at their little bonfire at Camp David or whatever the fuck they do for fun. And they're being like, how did you spend your COVID relief money? And someone being like, feathers and Lincoln Logs. Yeah, 12 of each. I asked the teacher that I was replacing, did they ask you guys for input? She had been there for like decades. She was like, no. Of course not. I'm retiring because of this. Like she literally was like, this is the year. I genuinely believe, and I mean this when I say it, those millions and billions of taxpayer dollars would have been better spent if we gave teachers Visa gift cards. I'm sure some of them would have just stolen it, but I have a feeling even factoring that in, a higher percentage of the money would have gone towards something good. Because I have a feeling maybe 20 to 30% of the money went to something good. And I think if we just gave all the teachers huge Visa gift cards, a solid 60 to 70% would actually buy stuff for their class. It's so funny that you say 30% because that makes me very excited to give you this next statistic. That's not funny. What is it? So Congress required that the ESSER 3 funding, that's what these little packages are called, at least 20% of the funding must be reserved for evidence-based strategies to address lost instructional time. And if you're thinking, well, they probably spent all of that really quickly. California districts had only spent one-tenth of this segment of funding. And despite proven benefits, only 5% had been spent on tutoring and only 4% was directed to summer learning. By 2023, that number had risen somewhat, but the trend remains. I'm so embarrassed. It wasn't even my fault and I'm embarrassed. I'm having secondhand embarrassment for the government. The national average percentage 
of spending for all three rounds of ESSER funds was 52%. How Every time I need something, we can't afford it. We don't have any money. We can't afford it. Clearly we do. Who are you asking? Because you're asking the wrong person. Someone's lied to you. I'm very, very, very interested in when these reports come out to see how it was spent, when it was spent, where it was spent, because something is afoot with this this funding and we are losing teachers left and right. So wherever it's being spent, it's not benefiting students because we're not seeing the opportunity gap closing. We're not seeing scores rise. We're seeing teachers leave. Administrators are leaving. What the hell is going on? Like, where is the money going? And it's also like, it's crazy to me how like, I've only taught at Title I schools. My last school if you wanted to use Title I money for something, it was such a process. You had to fill out all these forms. You had to go to a committee. You had to present it. You had to get approval. The meeting to present it was after hours. It was in person. Like It was just a lot. So I never, ever used Title I funding for anything. My new school is also a Title I school, and we like I like I really don't understand where the Title I money was going at my old school. Because at my new school, I don't know what I don't. Maybe my principal just like knows somebody. I don't know, but he buys stuff with it. Like that's why we have Nearpod Premium. That's why we have Quizzes Premium. They gave me a bunch of like glue and paper and pencils and all these things for my room, and they said that's where they got the money from was the Title I funding. Because what they told me is they said Title I funding. Can can be used for anything in regards to student instruction. So now my process, if I want something, is I take it to my department head and then the department heads will tell you, yes, that works, no, that doesn't work. And then they request it and it just happens. So like my last school was also about the same size school. So probably received similar amounts of Title I funding. Where did that money go? It was going to something. What was it? Who was it? It's very frustrating because like I'll also talk about this to like the general population of teachers on TikTok and some people will be like, wow, we use our Title I funding so well that like at the end of the year, our like operations manager would give us a pass to get whatever we wanted. They were like, put it on a spreadsheet. We have money left over. We have to spend all this money. And they could literally order whatever they needed. My school hit me up before I had even signed my paperwork where they had like the HR stuff was still happening. And they said, hey, we need to spend Title I funding. What supplies do you want for next year? I wish that it was like that everywhere. (laughs) And that's the thing is it's like, there's so many Title I schools. And I would say the majority of them, teachers are not having this experience. So it's literally like it's, so infuriating and so confusing. Like, where is this money going? And why is it not going to what it's supposed to be going to? It's such a disservice to our students. And at the end of the day, like, I understand that, like, it's easy to be like, it's parents, it's students, it's teachers. But if we're all pointing our fingers at each other, we need to point our fingers up. Who the fuck's in charge? And who's in charge of them? And how did that policy get put into place? And why was it put into place? Like, those are the questions we need to start asking ourselves. And if you can't figure it out, call people. And make them explain it to you. And vote in little tiny, tiny elections. And run in little tiny elections. Run for your school board, man. Especially if you live in a rural area. Like, I know if you live in, like, New York, it's really hard (laughs) to get on the school board. But if you live in, like, a small town or, like, a, a spot where, like, no one really wants to do that, run on that school board, man. Get in there. Start banging heads together. Be like, show me the money. Where are y'all's spreadsheets? Let me get after them spreadsheets. Right. God, we want to do that in our HOA in our neighborhood. Infiltrate the HOA. Defund the HOA. Defund the HOA. I hate them. The HOA is the police, basically. So My God. Remember the police officer who went down the slide? 
Uh, simpler times. To be a police officer ping-ponging down a slide instead of an educator having a mental breakdown over billions of dollars lost. I don't know that we have any solutions today other than we need policy change really bad, but we also need to remember like that the mental health shit has to come first because we at this point, not we, I mean like the we is in our country, not me and you and all the teachers, but we're doing students a disservice because they're going to be graduating with without skills that they need to have a choice-filled future. And it's not going to be easy, but we have to like keep track of multiple parts of this equation. Why can't they learn? Why don't they have access to it? There's a lot of parts of this What's equation. Happening? A lot of parts of the equation. But one part that we maybe shouldn't have in the equation is blaming kids and parents and teachers for it because it's really nobody's fault. Well, it's the... The you can fault, only blame people if they make six figures. That's my new rule. So you can blame superintendents. You can blame Joe Biden. You can blame district office staff. Look up the pay scale. If they're making more than six figures, we can blame them. If they're less, they're also a victim. Dependent on city. If you're in New York, we might have to... New York and California, we might have to edit that rule. God. Well, thank you so much for joining us for Teacher Quit Talk. You guys wanted us to talk about this... But I, I really couldn't make a video. I was It's too nuanced to it's make a like video. It's just like so much. And it's still nuanced. I mean... I could talk about this for another six hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's so many aspects to this. But I'm really excited for those reports to come out. And we will be combing through them with a fine-tooth comb. That is one of the podcasts that we should have to film in person. And we can get an Airbnb and like a beautiful mind style. Have like a bulletin board of all of the spreadsheets. In 2026. Yes. See you there. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, bye everyone. We love you. Mwah. Mwah.